love that we can get high to you. That's brilliant. Thank you, Colin. That was brilliant. Let's pray for Liz now. So, Father God, we give thanks for the gift of Liz, and we give thanks for all the gifts that you have given to her and anointed her with as well. And we give thanks for all that she has done for us this evening. And we pray now that you would bless her, fill us with your spirit, and fill her with your spirit too. And may we hear the things that you want us to hear. Amen. Thank you very much. See, I have to move this, otherwise you realise that I'm shorter than the stand. (laughs) Oh, has anybody got any fears? Anybody scared of anything? Yeah? You don't have to tell me what, it's not a therapy session. It's okay, just wondering. (laughs) I I used to be scared of dogs. Um, I, I tell you that when I first met Kai. Um, like genuinely terrified of them. Um, like they would come near me and I would be totally and utterly frozen and not being able to do, to do anything. And if one thought that it might jump out at me, up at me, that would probably be enough to make me cry. I know, it's very sad, isn't it? Um, and then I met Kai and um, uh, he grew up in a family that have always had dogs and his parents at the time had a dog called Jack. Um, Jack was trained that when I walked into a room, he had to leave. <laughs> that's how, I know, that's how bad it was. Don't feel sorry for Jack. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, right, that's enough of our, <laughs> that's enough of our family thing. Anyway, so then, uh, Kai and I were out for a walk one day. I can't remember if we were married at this point or not, but anyway, um, Uh, if we weren't, I'm just thinking in hindsight, he was kind of making his intentions clear at this point. Maybe I missed it. But we were walking along and he says to me, he says, oh, he says, it occurs to me, if you and I are going to be together forever, I'm never going to get another dog. No, don't feel sorry for him. That's just cruel. (laughs) But it turns out I like a sad sack. And I felt sorry for him. And so some years later, I said, oh, go on, we'll get a puppy. And I said, we'll have to get a puppy, though, because we'll have to get a puppy so that as the puppy grows, I can grow with it and it'll be all right. So we get this puppy. Like, it's as big as my hand. I mean, don't feel bad for me. And we got this pen that went in the lounge. And so the dog could be in the pen when Kai wasn't at home and all would be well. I am not going to lie. I had to make a phone call. Once Kai was at work, I rang him up and I said, you have to come home now because the dog has got out of the pen and I am trapped on the sofa. (laughs) The dog can even get on the sofa at this point. Um, Anyway, so why am I telling you this? Um, Fear is a real thing. And um, whilst I was scared of of dogs, as a general rule, it didn't actually um, sort of take over my life in any uh, way, shape or form, really, certainly not in any big way. Um, But it occurs to me that fear is something and anxiety is something that actually, for many people, is something that they have to cope with day in, day out. You know, it could be 
very topical. Fear currently of soaring energy prices on of food prices um, going up. It could be uh, fear of, I don't know, maybe it's fear of driving, fear of driving at night, um, fear, of, uh, fear of turning up somewhere too early, fear of turning up somewhere too late. That's another one of mine. If you ever in, uh, invite me to your house, you might find that I'm sat out in the car for 10 minutes because I'm so <laughs> worried about turning up late that I turn up early. But I don't like to turn up early either. <laughs> But these are the kind of things that that we worry about, isn't it? Like anxiety is is a big and real thing. And so I, I did, oh hang on, I don't know which way this goes up. Right, it goes this way up. It's a big thing. In 2013, 8.2 million people reported, who lived in the UK, reported uh, living with some form of high anxiety. That's give or take 13% of our population. Okay, that was 2013. Fast forward to 2022, and around 1 million people say that they have work related anxiety. I did not look up how many of those were clergy. But 1 million people is bonkers, isn't it? But if you think that's bonkers, 29.4 million, 49% of our population reported living with high levels of anxiety every single day. That means half of us here probably suffer with some kind of fear or anxiety. And fear and anxiety are something that runs all the way through the passage that we heard tonight. And one of the things that that struck me about it is that the thing about anxiety is we all deal with it in different ways, don't we? Um, in our house, if, if Kai is anxious, he, um, he doesn't eat. If I'm anxious, I eat everything in sight. <laughs> um, but, and one of the things about tonight's passage is um, there's lots of fear and anxiety in it. But Jacob and his sons deal with that fear and that anxiety in very different ways. So, um, where are we at in the story? So the story thus far is that the famine in Egypt and Canaan is raging. Love them, they don't yet know that they've got another five years of it to come. But the famine is harsh. The, the famine is raging. And uh, previously, the brothers have gone to Egypt to buy food and provisions. When they were there, they met with the ruler that you and I know is their brother Joseph. They don't know this yet. Um, And after a conversation with him, he says, uh, I'm going to keep your brother Simeon as uh, security. And if you ever come back here, you've got to bring your brother Benjamin or the youngest brother. Okay? So they do this. They agree to this. They take, they leave Simeon behind and they go home and they've, whatever provisions they had have now uh, started to run out. And so Jacob says to the boys, you got to go back to Egypt. And Judah, I, I imagine them, I, this is not true, but I imagine them in my head pulling lots to go, who's going to tell him? But Judah goes up to Jacob and he says, thing is, Dad, if we got to go back, we got to take Benjamin with us. You see, Jacob, love him, Jacob has got fear on two counts. He is scared, and I keep standing on my own trousers. He is scared um, because of the famine. 
He is scared because his family are going hungry. Not just his sons, but his grandchildren, his daughters-in-law. He needs them to go to Egypt so that they can get the food and the provisions they need. But if they go to Egypt, then they've got to go and take Benjamin with them. But Jacob has lost so much already. He's already lost two sons in Joseph and Simeon. And if he lets them go, he risks losing a third son. He is what we like to call between a rock and a hard place. Every which way he goes... There is an anxiety-inducing decision to be made. And yet, he makes the decision that the boys can go. And he says to them, take the provisions that you need and go. Don't know what other words to say. But before they go, he prays for them. And I think it's in the words that he prays of them, that over them, that I think we really see Jacob's true heart that we really see um, the way that he deals with fear and anxiety. In order to combat fear, Jacob remembers God's faithfulness. I think there are three interesting things about the prayer that he prays. He, uh, first off, as he's praying, he says, um, he refers to God as almighty God, I'm questioning myself now, sorry. God Almighty. He says, God Almighty. Now, you might think nothing out of the ordinary there, but God Almighty is the name by which God came to his grandfather, Abraham. Okay? So Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham and he promised Abraham a son. God was faithful and he gave him that son. Jacob's actual living existence is a reminder of God's faithfulness to his, to his ancestors. In order to combat his fear, Jacob remembers God's faithfulness in the past so that he can put his trust in him in the future or in the present. The second thing I think that's really interesting about the prayer that he prays is uh, that he prays for the uh, for the Egyptian ruler, and he says he says may that may the ruler have mercy and compassion. Now I don't know about you, um, but certainly for me, a good dollop of fear and anxiety makes me a very selfish person. (laughs) I find it if I'm anxious, it's very difficult to to see outside the situation that we're in, isn't it? Please nod. Thanks. Um, (laughs) Just so I know. But, but, um, But Jacob goes beyond this. He prays for other people as well. Not only does he pray for other people, he acknowledges that God is powerful enough to work in people who are currently outside the situation. He prays that his sons will be kept safe. But he prays that God will change the hearts of the people who could cause them harm. In order to combat fear, Jacob remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers the importance of praying for other people. And then comes the 
don't know what word I want to use. I don't have a word. But then comes like the biggest thing. He stands before God and he says, if I'm bereaved, then I'm bereaved. He essentially says to God, I'm giving you my sons. And if I lose a child, I lose a child, so be it. He says to God, your will be done. I genuinely have no words about how big and incredible that faith is. Jacob remembers God's faithfulness in the past so that he can overcome his fear and anxiety in the present. That's bonkers. And it's not easy. I, um, I've been reminded this week of a, of a story that I tell all the time. You've probably, most of you, all heard it. Um, but I've, I've come to the realisation this week, this is a ridiculous story. So I'm going to tell you again. Um, when our kids were little, um, whenever you'd go anywhere, if there was something out of the, out of the ordinary of the routine, um, they would always say, but when will we eat? What will we eat? I'm not saying our family runs on its stomach, but... And I would always say to them, I would say, boys, boys, have I ever not fed you before? And they would take slightly longer than I'm comfortable with to think about the answer. And then they would say, no. And I'd say, well, there we are then. Why would I start now? I've not let you down before. Why would I start now? And it occurred to me that maybe that's what God says to us when we're in a, in a, in a difficult situation, that God stands before us and he says, Liz, have I ever let you down before? And I say, well, no, God. And he says, well, then I'm not going to start now, am I? And I decided this week that that was a really nice uh, picture of God. But actually, in the real world, it was much more difficult than that. Because I thought a bit about my life and I thought there are certain situations where if somebody had said to me, has God let you down? I would go, yes, yes, he has. And here is why. (laughs) And you know what? I think if we went to Jacob and we said to Jacob, Jacob, has God let you down? And he's thinking about his two sons that he has lost. I think he's going to go, yes, yes, he has. I think when we, were, when we first started this story, um, I have no idea how many weeks ago, but I remember we talked about uh, Jacob's brothers and basically how they sat around and they said, God has ruined our life. And I imagine in that moment, if I'd said to the brothers, has God ever let you down? They would go, yes, yes, he has. Sometimes when we are in the middle of the dark situations and the fear and the anxiety that we face sometimes... It feels, it can feel like God has let us down or that God is not there with us. But of course, in the cold light of day, we know that whatever we face, God hasn't left us. That God is right by our side, even the times when we can't uh, physically feel that he is there. We know that he is there because the scriptures tell us that. But sometimes in the moment, it's hard, it's, it's hard to see. That's why we have to take a bit of a step back and look back and remember God's faithfulness in the past 
so that we might see it in the present. Jacob is fearful for his family and for his sons. And he combats that fear by remembering the faithfulness of God. But what about the brothers? The brothers have their fair share of anxiety as well. They are on their way back to Egypt. They, have, they are fearful. They are hungry. They are fearful for their own family's welfare. They are probably fearful about what is going to happen when they get to Egypt. Will they be made slaves? Will they be killed? Will, worse still, what is going to happen, especially if your name's Judah, what is going to happen if you have to come home and say that you've lost little Ben? They have lots to be fearful about. And they approach things in a slightly different way to their dad. They approach things in a, it's all right, God, I'll take it from here on my own kind of way, which I'm not going to lie, I have tried on a number of occasions. The brothers decide that it's okay. They have a plan. They have got the provisions that their father suggested they take. They can talk to the steward. They can... uh, in their way around uh, the, the ruler by taking him nice things and he'll be nice to them. They don't need God because they've got a plan. But what they don't realize is that Joseph, love him, also has a plan. And so when they start turning up to, well they, don't, well, they don't start turning up. It's not really a process, is it? When they turn up to Egypt and they arrive and Joseph sees them coming, Joseph starts to prepare a big feast. He tells everybody, you must be really nice to these Hebrews who have just shown up. The trouble is, the brothers can't see it. Okay? The brothers are still in their mindset that something bad is going to happen. So they take the steward aside and they say to him, look, mate, honestly, no idea what happened before. The money just turned up in our bag. And he says, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, That was all God. Don't worry about it. Then, because he probably gets the feeling that they don't quite believe him, he returns Simeon to them. And yet still, they are so wrapped up in their own fear and their own anxiety that they can't see what's going on around them. They can't see that everything's okay. They can't work out that they're not being treated like prisoners and nobody's been uh, treated roughly or anything like that. But they're so wrapped up in their fear, they can't see outside of their own situation. And um, so they carry on and they start making these provisions for... for, um, Joseph. Sorry, I just lost his name there for a minute. Um, So they start making these gifts for Joseph. And it's really telling because Joseph comes in and he totally ignores the gifts. there, There is no mention of them whatsoever. Why? Because Joseph didn't need them to earn his favor. Joseph had already forgiven them. It's just that they couldn't see it 
because they were so wrapped up trying to take control of the situation themselves. And I think Joseph's, uh, Joseph's kindness that he shows the brothers reminds us that if we want to combat our own fear and anxiety, we also have to remember that we are forgiven by God. You see, the brothers are running around and they are trying to put things right and they are scared because they are scared of getting a punishment that isn't actually coming their way. They are scared of getting a punishment that they know they deserve to a certain extent. But like I say, isn't coming because Joseph has already forgiven them. Joseph's treatment to his brothers is the ultimate, I think, kind of expression of God's love for us. But the brothers can't see it. Because the brothers are trying to fix things on their own. Despite the fact that they have been welcomed. Despite the fact that um, they've had their brother returned and their feet washed and their donkeys fed. Like I say, they're not being treated like prisoners. They're being treated like honoured guests. But they're not thinking clearly because of their fear. And so Joseph... um, Joseph goes on with his plan and they have this meal. And um, as we heard, there are three tables at this meal. You've got um, Joseph on his own over here um, because he's, he's the ruler. You've got the Hebrews, his brothers, on a table here. I mean, I don't know that this is the layout. This is just what it looks like in my head. You've got his brothers here. Um, And then you've got the Egyptian servants who won't sit with the Hebrews because they don't want to defile themselves. But nonetheless, they are there eating this meal. Now, if you wanted to join any of those tables, which one would you join? Because I'm telling you, I would join the one with the Egyptian servants on. I want to know the conversation that they are having. Because in my head, it goes something like this. And they're sitting around and they're gossiping and they say, what on earth is going on? Like, what is he doing? Why has he invited these Hebrews in? Why is he treating them like honoured guests? Why is he feeding the little one five times more than the bigger ones? That is a conversation for a whole other day. Um, But they must have been totally and utterly confused at Joseph's actions. They don't make sense. Why is he showing them the love and the compassion that he is? But think about it. Joseph is showing the brothers mercy. He has forgiven them for something that they have done. They are not getting the punishment that they deserve. We, and you will know this if you were in church this morning, but we are all sinners. We all deserve a punishment that in God's mercy we did not get and will not get. Because God loves us unconditionally and we are his forgiven people. And that... That is a love 
that is confusing. It doesn't make sense, does it? The fact that God loves us no matter what we do. The fact that there is nothing that can make God love us more or less than he does right now. The fact that he loves us in our sins so that he would send Jesus so that we might be forgiven and free people. That is not a love that we can fully comprehend in our humanness. And yet that is the love that we are offered. And when we remember that that is the love that we are offered and we are forgiven people uh, by God through Jesus, then we are people who do not have to fear. Then we are people who do not have to fear the future. We are people who do not have to fear the past because we are made new creations in Christ. There is no condemnation in him, so we do not need to fear the past. We live with hope and we live with joy. There is no fear in life and there is no fear in death because of Jesus. If we want to combat our fears, and I use the word combat really, for someone who can never use words, but I use the word combat really deliberately because we have to combat fear. This is a battle and a fight that we are in. If we want to combat it, then the only way we are going to do that is if we stand in the faithfulness of God. Anxiety and fear are something that took over Jacob and he took over the brothers and it takes over so many of our lives. It is a real tool of the devil because once he gets a foothold with the old anxiety, then it is really, really hard to break. But it can be broken. And it can be broken by Christ. If we want to combat our fear, then we have to remember God's faithfulness. And we must always remember that we live free and forgiven. And because of what Christ did for us, there is no fear. Because there is the words of a song, which I'm going to embarrass myself now by not being able to remember. But it goes something like this. I'm not singing. It's all right. It says, if our God is for us, then who can stand against? And the simple answer is, is if we are stood in the love of Jesus, then there is nothing, no fear, no anxiety that is bigger than our God. All we have to do is claim his promises and ask him to break them so that we might live free, free from fear in the hope and the joy that he offers us. I'm going to ask the music group to come and to join me. And um, if you would, shall we pray?